Thank you, Krista, for that <coughs> ministry in music. Today I want to consider with you the grace of God and how that grace appears in the life of a believer. What does God's grace produce in the believer's life? What kind of qualities are manifested as a result of God's grace? Well, some of the things that may come quickly to mind are that grace produces faith or grace produces understanding or grace produces endurance, perseverance, dying in there in times of difficulty and hardship. We might think about grace producing the love of the brethren. Well, this morning we look at grace in perhaps a more unusual sense that we don't often think about, that grace produces a giving spirit. If you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 7 with me, we look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and in all earnestness, and the love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. And this gracious work that is being referred to in Second Corinthians is the work of giving. Giving. Giving financially. And it's referred to as a gracious work, for it is a work that is produced by grace. Giving is one manifestation of the grace of God in the life of the believer. This passage emphasizes giving, but it emphasizes giving in association with God's grace. Given, giving is to be seen as a fruit of God's grace. In fact, 2 Corinthians 8 is a treatise on God's grace as it relates to giving. Notice verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you these words, the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Verse 6. Consequently, we urge Titus, that as he had previously made a beginning, so it also completed in you the gracious work as well. Verse 7. But just as you abandoned... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and the love we inspired you, since you abound in this gracious work also. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's talking about giving, but it's talking about it as a product of the grace of God. The Macedonian churches served as a model for giving in keeping with the grace of God. This morning, I'm going to talk about a model for giving, or what kind of giving the grace of God produces in the life of His people. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the theology of giving, why we give in our relationship to God. But this morning, we look at the characteristics, the manifestation, the fruit of the work of the grace of God in our lives. What kind of 
giving does it produce? Notice verse 1, that the churches of Macedonia serve as an example. Now, brethren, we we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. What did God's grace enable the Macedonian churches to do? Well, first, God's grace enabled the Macedonian churches to give sacrificially. The Macedonian churches included Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. And these churches, the Macedonian churches, demonstrated the grace of God because they gave sacrificially even in the midst of their own troubles. Notice verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now these, these words, that in a great ordeal of affliction, the church at Thessalonica, in particular, knew a great deal of affliction. They knew persecution. It is referred to in verse 2 as a great ordeal. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and says, We always want to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions, afflictions, which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. They endured much affliction. Sometimes, when we ourselves are going through a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty, pain, suffering, or, as an example of the Thessalonian church, persecution, we don't find it easy to think about others. At such times, it's easy to become self-absorbed, self-centered. But the Thessalonican church and the Brian church and the church at Philippi weren't just self-centered. They didn't just think about their own situation, their own struggles, their own uh, troubles, but they thought about the misery and the hardship and difficulty of others. For the giving that is referred to in this chapter is an offering that's going to be taken for the poor saints who are at Jerusalem. But they were not indifferent to the needs of others just because they themselves were needy. Secondly, the Macedonian churches manifested the grace of God for they gave out of their own need. They gave out of their own need. Verse 2. Then a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and, now these words, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Good synonym for liberality in verse 2 would be generosity. Out of their deep poverty overflowed a wealth of generosity. Now, I want you to think of the metaphor that's present here because it's rather graphic. Here, poverty is pictured as a deep hole. Uh, People sometimes refer to it as digging a 
you know, uh, digging themselves uh, a hole. They are in the debt. Well, now the, the poverty they are experiencing is not necessarily because of their, their debt, but, but they are poor. They are extremely poor. And it says that in the depths of their poverty. So you think of this, this hole. Think maybe like of a well, actually. That's 100 feet deep. They've got this incredible depth of poverty. And yet, out of that depth flows an overwhelming generosity. It's like there's a spring at the bottom of that well. And that spring so fed that well that the water kept rising and rising and rising and rising and rising until it reached the top of that hundred feet and then overflowed out of the top. That's the picture when Paul says, out of their deep poverty overflowed the wealth of liberality. They were wealthy Not in reality, but in their generosity. In their generosity, they acted like they were wealthy. They acted like they were rich. They denied their poverty. They denied the situation that they were in. And they conducted themselves as though they had money to spare. By the grace of God, their affliction and poverty... Poverty proved to be a motivation for their giving. They, in their poverty, were sensitive to the needs of others. They, going through their own difficulties, could identify with the poor saints of Jerusalem. And what it caused in them was a sense of feeling wealthy. When they looked at these poor saints in Jerusalem, they looked at their situation and said, you know, we don't have it so bad after all. Now they really were poor. They really were struggling. But they looked at it and said, you know, these poor saints in Jerusalem, they're worse off than, than what we are. And all of a sudden, they viewed themselves not as poverty-stricken, But they viewed themselves as wealthy. And as a result, (coughs) as a result, they were generous. They were generous. One of the great issues that is at stake in the level of our generosity is how we perceive our condition. Elsewhere in the scripture it says, That we are not to consider what we don't have, but we're to consider what we do have. And so many times we feel poor because of what we don't have, rather than feeling rich because of what we do have. And here the Corinthians show a, excuse me, the Macedonians show a work of God's grace in their lives because they viewed themselves as wealthy even when they were poor. Next, the Macedonians gave sacrificially For they gave till it hurt. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave. 
For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. They gave to the limit of what they had, and then they even exceeded the limit. They gave more than what they could afford to give. Now here, let me back up and and just put a few cautions in here. They did not give irresponsibly. But they did give astoundingly. We can be irresponsible. Uh, We shouldn't commit ourselves to more than what we are able to do. But here, this passage does not encourage us to go into debt in order to give to God's work. This passage is not what is referred to in some circles as seed faith giving. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. But seed faith giving says if you're poverty stricken, if you don't have much money, then you sow what little money you have and then God is going to richly bless it. It's going to be like a tree that, that, that grows and brings forth buds and, and you're going to be rich. So give out of your poverty in order to be rich. That's not the mindset. They weren't investing this money in God's bank, saying, man, you know, if we can scrape up just a little bit, then God's going to make us rich. That's not what's happening. And the scripture never encourages us to give in that way. But the giving that they did, you see, was sacrificial in the truest sense of that word. It goes beyond throwing our loose change in a jar. Or like sometimes we're encouraged to give to missions by giving up a Big Mac every week. Uh, You see, it's not giving out of our abundance. It's giving out of our lack of abundance that is a manifestation of the true grace of God. Anybody can give out of their abundance. The non-believing world gives out of their abundance. Bill Gates, I was talking about him in Sunday school has this incredible uh, trust fund that he's established and and giving incredibly. The the man has close to $60 billion. He can afford to give. He can give away billions of dollars and it will never, ever affect his lifestyle. Not so, you see in this example. This was going to affect their lifestyle. Sacrificial giving means that we are willing to go Uh, beyond uh, what we can do without having it affect our personal lives. Gracious, sacrificial giving at its heart means that we are willing to trust God for the meeting of our needs. I think that's at the bottom line when it says that they gave beyond their ability. Uh, How can you give more than you can give? Answer, they, they gave more than what they could reasonably reasonably uh, be assured of. One of the things that happens as the more wealth we accumulate is the easier it is to uh, rely upon that wealth. To think that you've got enough wealth to make you secure. Uh, You know, the economists tell us that we should have at least six months of of uh, our income put aside for emergencies. And you don't save until at least you've set aside those six months in case of emergency. And then you have to start 
uh, you know, saving for difficult situations, and then it goes on and on and on from there, trying to build up a wall, trying to create a sense of security. Reality is, the reality is, you're never secure. You're never secure. You could have a couple million dollars and the right disease come along and you're going to wipe out your nest egg. There is no such thing as security. And the person who is giving in this way recognizes that their security is not in their wealth. It's in God. That's freeing. That's freeing. That's a product of faith. That's a product of one's relationship with God. And that was manifested in the life of these Macedonian believers. Secondly, God's grace enabled the Macedonian churches to give freely. Freely. The first is sacrificially. The second is freely. Not of coercion or manipulation. First, they gave freely as evidenced by their self-initiation. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, now these words, they gave of their own accord. They gave because they wanted to. Nobody forced them to. Nobody coerced them to. Nobody made them feel guilty if they, they didn't. Uh, so oftentimes, even in the Christian realm, the motivating factor for giving is guilt. It's guilt. People try to manipulate. They show you the pictures of these starving children who are malnourished with their extended stomachs. And you look at these children and, and you feel so bad for these children and you say, well, I've got to alleviate their, their need. I've, I've got to deal with something about that. It is, it is contrived. It is to get you to have an emotional response to the situation. Here, Paul says, they gave of their own accord. No gun to their head. No ongoing, lengthy appeal. But they gave freely. Next, they gave freely as evidenced by their self-motivation. Look at verse 4. One of the more striking words in the scripture. Begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. I don't know how many of you have memorized that verse uh, or underlined it in the Bible, but it's really a rather striking verse. Listen to the NIV. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. The churches at Macedonia begged Paul, 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 won't you take our money? Won't you allow us to be a part of this ministry? Paul, can't we do something? Here's our money. Why don't you take our money? They begged Paul to be able to participate in this gift. To participate in the support of the saints is a demonstration that they were contributing to a collection that was already in existence. And we can see that in Galatia and other places. 
The point is they viewed it as a privilege to participate and did not want to be left out of this opportunity to give. Then one must ask the question, why would they have to beg? Why would they have to beg? How often do you find yourself in a situation where you have to beg people to take your money? Why do you have to beg? I submit to you because originally Paul had no thought of asking these churches to give. Why? Because of their poverty? Because of their afflictions? Because of their hardship? Later on in chapter 9, Paul says, I don't want other people to be relieved at your expense. I don't want other people to have an easy life at the cause of your, your hardship. I think Paul's looking at these churches and saying, we're taking up a collection and we could very easily take up a collection for the, the churches at Macedonia. They could be the next target group. They could be the next focal point. After we take care of the saints at Jerusalem, maybe we ought to then adopt as a project the saints at Thessalonica. Whatever the point, whatever the reason, he didn't start with them. And they hear about this gift that's going to be given, and they say, we want to participate. And Paul says, no, that's okay. And they say, no, really, we want to participate. We've got it covered. No, really, please. Can't we participate too? Can't you take our money? That is a product of the grace of God. That is not the natural response of human beings when it comes to giving. It's a work of the Spirit of God. But there are some important lessons to be learned from those simple verses. First, we don't know who's able to give. There may be situations in which people want to give and, and we might discourage them. As parents, we have grown children. And we know their financial situation. And we get wind that they want to give to something. They want to contribute to something. They want to participate in something. And we might have a tendency to say, well, you know, I'm not so sure you're in a position to do that. I don't know that that would be a wise thing for you to do right now. Maybe you should just hold back and take care of yourself and let others who are less needy than you are Take care of this particular situation. Well, these churches in Macedonia were desperate to participate. And sometimes people who have very little money really feel like they want to participate. Again, that can be so easily abused. And the Christian churches got such a black eye from abusing people when it comes to giving. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. But the reality is, sometimes we can be astoundingly amazed at the generosity of people who have very little. 
Secondly, I think it's very inappropriate for other Christian churches or organizations to be begging for money. There is no example in the scripture of begging for money. The example is to beg to, forget, to give. The other incredible situation is when Moses is gathering together materials uh, for the construction of the tabernacle. And finally he says, you know, you can quit giving now. we got more than we need. We have more than we need. Uh, we need to be careful. Uh, we should not be begging people to give. And we'll get to the theology of giving next week. Uh, but rather, people should be begging to give. Thirdly, giving is to be a joyful and free and wonderful experience. It is Will Rogers who said, A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And the people that are manipulated to give, after they give, feel cheated. After they give, feel poor. After they give, wish they hadn't given. That should never happen. Giving should be a joyful experience. We ought to, after we have given, see what God can do with this. Recognize His faithfulness to us. And enjoy the benefits that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the way in which giving should be done. It should be sacrificial. Secondly, it should be free. And then thirdly, it should be worshipful. Worshipful. Notice verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, what does that mean? Not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were collecting a fund for the poor saints at Jerusalem. The churches at Macedonia heard about that fund of the poor saints at Jerusalem. And they were begging to participate in that fund. But now, Paul says, something happened that we weren't expecting. <laughs> we heard that they wanted to participate in the fund. But before they participated in the fund, they gave themselves to the Lord. And they gave themselves to us. They gave themselves to us. Before they contributed to the poor saints at Jerusalem, they contributed to the Lord's work. And in particular, they contributed to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Listen to the words of Philippians 4.15. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, 
after I departed from Macedonia. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Paul says, what blew me away was when the Philippian church not only gave to this fund over here, which has its own heartstrings and emotional response, but not only did they give to that particular fund, but they gave to the Lord's work in general, and they gave to the ministry of the Apostle Paul in particular, and he says, twice when I was at Thessalonica, you sent a gift to me. Their giving was ongoing. Their giving was consistent. Now, how much they gave is never revealed. How much can a poor people who have virtually nothing actually give? I don't know the dollar amounts because they're irrelevant. It's not about how much they gave. It's the spirit in which they gave. And here they gave worshipfully. They gave it because it was the Lord's work. Sometimes it's a whole lot easier. You can show the pictures, show the extended stomachs, and get people to give to funds that are going to alleviate people's diseases or troubles or heartaches or difficulties. It's more difficult to get people to contribute to keep the lights on or to buy hymnals. But you see, they gave to the Lord's work. They gave to the Lord's work. Application. We need to give as a consequence of God's grace as well. Notice verses 6 and 7. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. So Paul is now writing to the Corinthian church. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. He commends them for these other qualities. And then he says, now be sure that you produce this work of, the, of, the, of God's grace as well, that you give. Verse 8, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as providing through the earnestness of others and the severity of your love also. Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give. That would fly in the face of what we just saw about giving being sacrificial, giving being free, and giving being worshipful. He said, I'm not commanding you to give, but I'm challenging you he says, to give as a result of God's grace and his love, which is going to lead us into next week, the theology of giving. But today, in closing, let us just think about these simple things. First, all too often, giving is prompted by manipulation as opposed to a simple appeal to the grace and goodness of his people. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. We shouldn't be out begging people to give. We simply provide 
an opportunity for God's people to give. Secondly, giving should not be prompted by guilt, but out of joy and appreciation for what God has done for us. We should be giving not because we have to, but because we want to. We recognize the goodness and grace of God in our own life, and we want to see that manifested in the life of others. The Macedonian churches serve as a great role model in giving. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I was at a Pinebrook Bible Conference uh, this week. And we had a, a night in which uh, the pastors got together for a fellowship and, and uh, a, a time of interaction. And uh, Brother Rami Huron was present. And he wanted to say a few words. And he stood up and he began by saying, you know, brothers, he said, I'm very, very careful. He said, I resist the temptation to compare pastors, to, prepare, to uh, compare preaching styles, and to compare preach, uh, churches. But he said, and he looked at me and he said, but he said, Lebanon is really unique. Lebanon is unique. I think that's very true. To the praise and the honor and the glory of God. I think we're unique. In our committedness. In our work ethic. In our faithfulness to the denomination. Our faithfulness to the word. And yes, even in the area of our giving. I think it is commendable. So I am not doing the sermon, as you know, I'm just working through a text to try to raise an incredible amount of money. Rather, I'm saying to you, I hope that you can enjoy the giving that you do. I hope that you can just sit back and realize the benefit it is to God's people, to God's work, to the furtherance of the kingdom. And you can take a measure of satisfaction as you would demonstrate satisfaction when you've exercised faith or you've exercised love. For this too, giving, is a grace of God. Especially when it's done sacrificially, freely, and worshipfully. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, help us, as your people, to be good stewards of that which you have entrusted to our care, and help us manifest a real spirit of grace, not like the world gives, but only as your spirit enables to give, and that is sacrificially, freely, and worshipfully. Oh God, may you be praised, not only in what we say, not only in what we do, but Lord, in the manner in which we give.
May it bring great honor and glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.